All right, party people, that was, as my co-host of the day said, Life in the Fast Lane by Joe Walsh, or sung by, of the Eagles, yes, sung by Joe Walsh, sorry, Mm -hmm. of the Eagles. Um, It actually introduces you extremely well, because... Life in the Fast Lane? Exactly. Um, It's kind of why I picked it. Okay. Um, Introduces my next guest, who lived his life kind of in the fast lane. Um, but in a good way because he's, yeah, but you, you brought yourself back, um, which is what we're going to eventually talk about, um, in a second. Um, but again, this intro is my next guest plays in my next guest. Um, how about introduce everybody, uh, how about introduce yourself to the sports bar audience? I am Enigma wrapped in a riddle. I mean, your actual name is Ral O'Neill. And Ral actually has done many illegal things to the to the stars and specifically to the sports stars of uh, the NFL, of the NBA. I have I have party with a few stars back in the day. And that's partially why we're here, but we're really here to hear your story. Okay. okay. Um, so I'm actually really, really excited. Let's, we're going to start from the beginning. Okay. It's a very good place to start. Um, let's start from the beginning of how did you even get into this racket of selling illegal substances? Because that's just a, I think personally for me, like somebody that doesn't do this or has never, ever done this. Um, I can't even imagine like how you actually begin selling to, well, it's got to start like small and then work your way up or is yeah, this like yeah, a yeah. So, balls to the wall story or. So, um, the story starts with having a broken family, like everyone else, um, lost my mother to cancer at 11. And then from that point on was, uh. The cliche would be raised by wolves, but the but you ac- really weren't raised the, by wolves. Yeah, so the accurate term would be raised by no one. So that's the real accurate term, um, raised by no one. Um, and went through my life and my, you know, preteen and teen years, figuring the whole thing out. And then at, unfortunately, age 18, I decided to perform uh, Leaving Las Vegas. So for those that don't know what Leaving Las Vegas is, can you please kind of educate our audience? Because some of our audience is relatively young and they are the millennials. Um, The ones that obviously are not millennials, they completely understand what this Johnny Depp reference is, um, which is a great movie. But the ones that don't. Okay. Well, first, it's it's not a Johnny Depp 
reference. It's uh, sorry, it's a Nicholas Nick, Cage. Nick sorry, Cage. sorry, I, I stand corrected. Nicholas Cage, Cage. and yes. uh, I, I actually unfortunately don't know the author's name, but it's a true story based on an author who wrote a story about you know going down the rabbit hole, drinking himself to death. His story was going to Vegas to do it. My interpretation of it was going to Montreal to do it. Um, I had seen it and, you know. This doesn't shock me. John O'Brien, by the way, is, John the, author, is the name of the author. And yeah. you are of Irish descent as I well. Am, so. I am. So Irish always deal with some darkness. And they fantasize about... <laughs> some glory in terms of going out the way they want to go out. So you guys are very balls to the walls, very balls to the walls. So I had gone to Yukon for a year, gone on a spring break to Montreal, fell in love and decided after my freshman year, and after joining the Air Force and going through basic training. And, Which, thank you for your service. Well, yeah. Going through basic training and tech school that I decided in the winter of 99 to perform my own leaving Las Vegas by disappearing and going to Montreal. Okay. And then after? So, I... I had basically gone through the process of joining the Air Force, getting to where I was going to get school paid for and get the GI Bill paid for, but just came out super depressed, went through a semester at UConn and got to December of mid-December, late December before my finals and decided I was going to go to Montreal and, and uh, drink myself to death. So what was the turning point where you didn't drink yourself to death, obviously, because you're still here with us. So there had to be a turning point. Yeah. So I, I bought a, a QP of dirt Hartford weed before I left and uh, is that a Connecticut term for? Yeah, a quarter pound of uh, pretty shitty weed, uh, which I was pretty addicted to marijuana at the time. I was a wake and bake um, user, user morning, noon, and night. Which a lot of people wouldn't, especially now, they do not think that it. This is the drug that is addictive. It's more of a healthier drug. Yeah, you know, considering the, what you sold. Yeah, well, the, well, this is the whole uh, the concept now is marijuana is a medical aid, but well, they actually came out and said that yeah. it's actually well, it medicine. Has, well, yeah, it has benefits, but at the end of the day, if you want to numb yourself with a drug, marijuana can be a great drug to numb yourself with. And especially in the Northeast in Connecticut, where I grew up, I smoked way too much marijuana and it was a gateway drug for me and led me to the point where my depression led me to say, 
I don't give a fuck about anything or anyone and want to just disappear and and go out kind of leaving Las Vegas style. Okay, so let's go back to that. Like, So you're leaving Las Vegas, you're headed to Montreal, you're about to do your leaving Las Vegas shit. Yeah. So I decided in late November, early December, and just to give some hindsight, my mother had passed in late November in my life at age 11. I'd gone through some really rough years uh, leading up to age uh, 18. And she was the rock of the... She was by far the rock of my family and... And so huge impact. Huge impact. Yeah. And and I'd gotten into the military and and gone through basic training, went through tech school and got back out and got back into Yukon and you know, actually got really good grades, but had gone to a place in my mind that didn't make sense. It was all for not it was all nonsense it was all to you it didn't make sense no nothing made sense okay so let's move on from there and let's go to you're in montreal well so leading into going to montreal i decided i was gonna disappear and that was the fantasy of that no one cared no one would have even noticed i was gone um, so the morning of, I remember vividly, I'd already bought, uh, a quarter pound of weed. I woke up, packed my clothes, rolled up a few blunts, uh, went to the local bank, drained out the, I think five grand that I had made from basic training and tech school and just drove north. So then after you drive north... So after I drive north, and this is uh, early December, mid December, I think it was honestly like the you know nineteenth, twentieth, twenty first, somewhere around that of December. You know, I get up to Montreal where I'd already been, so I know the layout of the land a little bit. I was stoned out of my mind, hadn't started drinking yet, and realized that now I'm in a new country. It's getting dark. It's freezing cold. I need to find a place to at least lay my head. So for all those that don't know um, about Montreal, it is French Canada. It's not just Canada. It's not West Canada. It is not like East Canada. It is French Canada. So like we're talking not only cold, cold weather, colder than Connecticut, which if you can imagine – Oh, That's bitter cold. ridiculously cold. It's cold yeah. in Connecticut. It's yeah. cold in upstate New York. But Canada, it's insanely cold. Yeah. And Western Canada is different from, you know, actual, like, yeah. so, Montreal, Canada. So Montreal is, at best, during December, 25 degrees. on, And the, that's the high. That's the high. And on the low, you're going into the negatives with wind chill and and all the nonsense. So I definitely was, you know, a little out of my tree, figured I need to find a motel to rest my head and, you know, recoup. 
unfortunately you had like the financial means for that so you yeah could actually i do drained that. my bank account i believe i had a little over five grand i had a quarter pound of weed and i had actually brought my uh my playstation at the time to uh play madden and be able to uh get away from my reality going old school man with madden yeah and- i was uh I was addicted to Madden pretty hard and and definitely enjoyed the ability to get away from reality. Yeah, the escape. Okay, so go on, go on. You did you get the um did you go to a motel then at yes. that point cuz it's freezing. So, yeah, yeah. This point. So, it's November, so Yeah, d- no, December, December, December. So I find uh, St. Catherine Street, which is the main street in Montreal, uh, where all the tourists go. And I knew of that from a previous trip up there. And I kind of just took a right or a left off of St. Catherine. Is this the beginning of the end kind of thing? Sorry, I keep interrupting uh, listeners of, of the sports bar, but like I'm just always very interested intrinsically curious so no was this the beginning of the end or was this like just just the beginning no i didn't know where i was going i knew you know uh montreal doesn't exactly have a downtown it's a big city but St. Catherine Street is the main street where all the party is what do you mean it doesn't have exactly a downtown it doesn't have the exact downtown that a place like LA has. It, you know, you like you, they don't have a center or a hub. Yeah, technically yeah, a yeah. It doesn't have like a center or hub, so you can get lost off the main. St. Catherine Street, I'm sure, runs, you know, twenty miles or whatever it may run. So is it kind of similar to like Paris, where like you can, like, kind of just get lost in the streets? Yeah. So. Okay. So I take a turn off of St. Catherine Street and I get on the street and there's plenty of motels. Now, I don't know the difference between hotels and motels really at this point in my life, but I do realize that I'm on kind of a seedy street, but it's dark. Which is hilarious because you're still in Canada. Uh, yeah, I'm still in Canada. I'm coming off my stone. I mean, CD Street is not really a CD Street in Canada. Well, that yes. So that's the whole point. You don't really know. It's not like you're taking a right into Harlem. Like, it's all looks kind of gravy. It's all snow covered. There's It's not, beautiful there. Well, there's not a lot of people walking on the street. I don't see, you know... I'm taking a turn onto a street where there's a whole bunch of Puerto Ricans or a whole bunch of blacks. I take a turn on a street where there's a whole bunch of white people. I don't realize that they have uh, differentiating their white people because their ghettos are white and white. So, anywho, I mean, it is Canada. So yeah. I get that. Okay. The, the, the kicker is you got to know what I'm driving. I'm driving a 1986 Plymouth Reliant. It is... So you are driving a hood car. No, it's not a hood car, but it's a fucking metal box. It is... 
This is 1999, and I'm driving an 86 gray Plymouth Reliant. So I mean, that's a 13 year old car. It's a it's a 13 year old car. If that's not hood, I don't know what it is. It's not hood, but it's very lowbrow. So I find a street. This is the difference between East Coast and West Coast. Everybody, go on. So I find a street, and it's got a bunch of motels. And I decide I just need to find one to get off the street, get into a room, warm up, get roll another blunt, and get my high on. So I find this place. Uh, the street was St. Subert, which is St. Hubert in English. And I... You mean Hubert? Hubert. Yeah. And I, I, I find a parking spot and go in to get a room for the night. So how did that go, by the way, you getting a room for the night? Because like you are American, like even though I'm sure that you still, uh, and everybody forgive me, I did take French and I do love the French and I'm probably going to butcher this because every French person is going to listen to this and be like, man, she does not know how to speak French. But, um, uh, you know how to speak French, man. And not at the time. So, oh, you did not know how to speak French at the time? No. Okay. So, so I, knew, okay. I knew zero French at the time. So then how did you actually get this room? It, it was obvious. I stumbled upon what in their terms would be a crack den. I didn't know it at the time, but... I, also because you didn't know the area or anything I like that. I didn't know the area, but I had just seen a Dunkin' Donuts, so I thought I was near a decent area. This I, is kind of the same story. This is kind of the same story as you like you and your cousin going to Inglewood and getting a hotel room in Inglewood, yeah. not knowing where you are. Yeah. Gotcha. I, so I, just not knowing the surroundings. Far off St. Catherine Street. Everybody also has to realize that this is prior to Google Maps. This is prior yes. to the internet. This is prior yes. to like you really had to actually do your research when you were attempting to go uh, oh, and, no esca maps. and escape to Las Vegas. Yeah. Oh was, yeah. It was one of those like things where um, I think a lot of the audience that we are talking to, fortunately, is our age. Oh, they wouldn't and, understand it. There yeah. was there was well, no, our age would understand there were, it. No, well, so there was no smartphone. I had at the time previous a pager, and I'd get gotten rid of the pager, and you had to make your way by looking at street signs and kind of figuring it out. Or if you actually had a map and you had like one of those like guides. I did not. And you probably, yeah, I was just going to say you probably didn't have a guide. So going on from there, so you actually get a, um, you get a room. I get a room. I go in and it's, and it's obvious. Like they look at me. They know that you're American. They know I'm American. Yeah. They look at me super sideways. Um, it was a four story crack den. Uh, they gave me a room on the third floor, and they probably... Was that like a special thing, giving you a room on no, the third floor? Okay. I think they probably thought, like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Maybe he's, like, meeting his prostitute yeah. here or something. So yeah, the who third knows? Yeah. So I go up, I get the room, I get my clothes out, I get to roll blunt, you know, smoke, and kind of level out. And, you know, to be honest, at that time... I was 
perma high all the time. So I was high on marijuana 24 seven. And then to get off being perma high, I would drink booze. And then that would give me actually more clarity than being on marijuana. Which, by the way, for all those that actually don't know, um, weed obviously is a high and uh, alcohol is the depressant. So it's actually going to bring you down. Like, So for everybody that actually does go out there and drink, that's, well, what, that's what drinking does for you. It is a depressant. Well, the big thing about marijuana for me was... It made me numb. It made me kind of stupid. And I would really start every day by smoking a blunt through the morning, smoke a blunt through the afternoon. And around happy hour, I would start drinking. And then I would smoke a blunt through the evening. Then my drinking would increase. And as weird as it sounds, the drinking would supersede the marijuana and I'd become actually semi-coherent during the evening hours. And then it would turn really quickly to now you're drinking and smoking and end the night as kind of a shit show. So after all that happened, you get this hotel room in Montreal. Like what happens after that? Like you wake up and you finally have this like epiphany of like, holy shit, what the fuck am I doing? Or do you like, do you go on like a rampage? No. So I, I wake up and I realize I've disappeared. I was living at my father's place. I hadn't told him where I was going. Didn't tell any of my family didn't tell any of my good friends who I had friends who I would smoke with daily where I was going. So I was in the wind. I was a ghost. I was, and again, there's no cell phones and I had gotten rid of my pager. There's nothing. I am now, I am now a ghost in the wind. Um, but it was, exhilarating in the morning in the fact that I'm now in this new city that has a completely different culture than what I was in terms of being in the military in the U.S., being a UConn student in the U.S., being a, you know, whatever I was in the U.S. Now I'm a... This was a culture shock for you. Oh, like you, oh, big you, time. And I know you love Canada, actually. You love French Canada, specifically. Oh, like, yeah. you love Montreal. So, like, yeah. this was probably your mecca. Well, no, not at the time. So, at the time, I had only been there on a spring break. And that was awesome because, you know, uh, five of us guys went up to go see some of the hottest strippers in the world. Because Montreal really does have hottest women in the world. Okay, especially. have you gone to Tampa strip clubs? Just want to put have, that down there because I, I I am a straight female, and I love me some Tampa strip clubs. Yeah. So, so so the way I always describe 
Montreal is. Imagine that the hottest chicks of a country. So imagine the hottest chicks of the U.S. They gravitate towards Vegas, Florida, and L.A. The hottest chicks of Canada gravitate towards Montreal. Plus the Northeast girls that want to go up and make a name for themselves. I mean, they really are phenomenally beautiful. Okay, so moving on towards your... So Let's mo- keep going with your story. So moving on, so I, I wake up and, uh, and now the light of the day is there and I get to explore the city. And again, I'm just off the main street, so now I can walk a lot of places. Even though it's freezing fucking cold, I don't mind walking around and figuring out what's going on. Well, you're also from Connecticut, so it's a different environment yeah. for you as far as the weather is concerned. So yeah, no big so, deal to keep walking in cold weather. Yeah, so I uh, I start exploring the city, you know, go to a local diner for a meal. Oh, how is the uh, cuisine, by the way? Oh, phenomenal. Yeah, so, I, I love the, um, uh, what is it called, when you have the cheese curds? Poutine. poutine. Yeah. So they design all their food to be super fatty and super rich. Well, to, you have to with all the weather. With the weather. Yeah. So they design the food to make you feel warm and fulfilled. And every meal is like that. And it's one of those crazy things where you're like, this sounds disgusting. Poutine sounds disgusting. It is delicious. But it's fucking delicious. That is definitely, hands down, and, one of my favorite meals. And if you're high on marijuana, it is extremely delicious. Okay, I love how you say marijuana like it's like this illicit thing. Well, no, it was it was uh it was my daily medicine. It was I I I started my mornings by getting high on marijuana. But at the same time, marijuana is one of those things where it is a medicinal drug. And I've always believed it to be a medicinal drug where like there's a lot more positives than there are negatives to marijuana. That's that's fine for most people. And for me, I don't think it was super negative or super positive. It was just numbing. It was... You could go out in 20 degree weather, stoned as fuck, and not feel 20 degree weather. Do you also feel like the reason why you can go out in 20 degree weather in marijuana with, um, by smoking a blunt or by whatever, um, however you ingested the weed is because of the drinking that you were doing? Because that so, has a huge aspect yes. to it. So this is where everyone asked me this question. But I was not drinking during the day. During the day, it was just marijuana. And I actually had this this thing where I would not drink until it became happy hour. I was never a day drinker. I was never a morning drinker. And but once the you know, in the winter, once four o'clock rolls around and the sun goes down, yeah, then I would start drinking. But their drinking up there is more beer-based. 
they well, it's also wine based as well wine based as well but they have uh they have safeties on their booze so if you want to get a shot kind of like utah no if you want to get a shot or a cocktail something they have the they had these uh controls on their booze that would only serve you half an ounce or an ounce they made sure you were not getting overserved on booze so so the whole enjoyment and the whole celebration was like i had won the super bowl and they wanted to celebrate with me so after the super bowl i'm on cloud nine and they're celebrating me they brought me out to the local bar and again let's put in perspective half the people don't speak english they're just french speaking and yeah, you're in like the main montreal I'm in, downtown area. yeah i'm in like the local area and they're interpreting and telling people like he just won the super bowl so there's girls like putting whipped cream on like tits and like i'm like you know having the grandest old time and it made me think like wow like this is so weird that one i met this girl two she introduced me to all her family and friends and three the rams just went on this epic run you're on cloud nine right now buddy oh i'm on the i'm on the best cloud in the world you're i mean you're on uh whip tits uh Wh- yeah oh, whip whip no. whip tit, uh, cloud, tit, cloud nine t- yeah like titties coming out yeah yeah um okay so then after that happens um you are in uh montreal for probably a year now or not a year you're you're in montreal for two months yes so december to february so three months you're in montreal for three months roughly two months because super bowl is it's in the beginning of february beginning of february and so you were only so you saw like you left montreal in the right after the super bowl so after the celebration everything she really drilled down on me and said this is probably like hey we partied we're having a good time yeah but now shit's about to get serious yeah and now my lies had kind of gotten poor and she's like what the fuck are you doing are you really doing what are you doing montreal right so i had to fess up to her and she was accepting she was accepting but harsh and she said okay one thing you need to do you need to get out of the crack hotel you need to come live with me and get your shit in order i mean you were so young too like to live with a girlfriend that young is not the best she lived at her parents place on the south shore but i will say this long gay i will say this living with your parents um at your age is she was she the same age as you no she was two years older than me three three years older yeah by american standards not a good idea not by her standards probably normal yeah because a lot of at least my european friends like they still live at home like they live at home until like they're done with university so it's not a big deal for you to be able to do that so there's a huge cultural divide so now we had to confess to each other who each other were 
I had to confess to her that I was up there to perform leaving Las Vegas and I left the military. She confessed to me that she used to sell crack. That's why she was in that area. Yeah. And had gotten caught and was in legal trouble, but was still at a crack hotel selling for the Hells Angels. Wow. Yeah. So, so hence, the shine, that's how you got into so, it. So, so the shine was off both of us. And that's good though. At least you guys had nothing to hide. And now I'm living outside of Montreal on the South Shore at her parents' place. So for all those that don't know, especially me, because when you say the South Shore, I think of Jersey. Is it and Jersey actually the South Shore in Jersey is actually not horrible. It's actually kind of nice to me. Yeah, um, so think, think so, so think what is the South Shore in Montreal? Exactly. So think of being in New York City and then all of a sudden finding yourself in Hoboken. Now you're no longer in the glitz and glam. You're in I mean, I guess I would it would be dependent on like where you think that I lived in the city, but I get what you're saying. So you're no longer in the glitz and glam. You're now in some You're in a slum. Not a slum, but a suburb that's not nice. Okay. You're in Jersey City before it became a And her parents are like, who's this dude? Right. Like, you know. So you're kind of in, like, so Jersey City is kind of a great example of that. Yeah. Prior to it getting gentrified. Yeah. So Jersey City prior to being gentrified was the slum. And the South Shore is all French. No one's speaking English. Okay, and so it's kind of like you going to Montreal, or not Montreal, sorry. It's kind of like you going to uh, Marseille from Paris. And now and I, now I stick English. out like a real sore thumb. Sore thumb. Yeah. And now I know her story. Now she knows my story. So she's about to get real. She's about to get real. So end of February comes around, and she's like, you got to go back and face the fucking music. And I say, yeah, I think I do need to go back and face the music. And that was a very hard decision, but the money had drained out. And I was on the run from the military. I had to go back and face that music. I was AWOL from the Air Force. So... My father had no idea where I was. My family had no idea. Right. My best friends had no idea. Right. I'd been gone now three, three months, months. Right. And I really need to go back and face the music. And she was very supportive and, and very loving. And, Did she and go the, with you to America no, at that point? Okay. No. And at this point, I have to be honest, I had fallen in love with her. So you fall in love hard though. You're you this are, is my first. I know, but like ever since her, you fall in love hard. So no, so I've never fallen in love this hard. So this was I, I really because I feel like you're a very passionate guy. I'm super passionate, but just not an in but, love kind but of person. It, no one ever believes this and no one ever appreciates this. I'm going to say it in such a weird way that it's going to sound stupid, but I was there to kill myself and the Rams won the Super Bowl and I fell in love. Okay. So let's, let's move on from there. Like, which by the way is a whole other story and we can get, 
Rel, you could write a book on this, like literally write a book on this, which I really, really hope you do. I know you've talked about it. I know that, you know, you're trying to be stay motivated, especially during COVID, like to write a book about this. And I think it would be glorious for you to do this. Um, so grateful that you're doing this on my podcast. Um, but eventually, hopefully Rel's uh, book will be out in stores within the few years because he it, he just has the most ultimate story to tell. But um, let's move on from her telling you that you have to, you know, move on with your life and you have to tell your, you know, you have to be responsible and, you know, uh, be an adult. And now you have to face the consequences kind of thing. Yeah. Let's move on from there. Um, can we fast forward? I know that you like, we're going to fast forward really quick to, which I hope this is in your book, um, your eventual book that you're going to write. Um, about you telling your parents and your friends that like, hey, I was in, you know, I was in Canada for three months. Um, we're going to fast forward past that. We're going to go to the point where you start slinging back and forth from Canada to uh, Connecticut. Yes. And you start bawling out like that. So let's go to specifically to that moment because okay. we've gotten, we've gotten so, this far. Okay. Let's go from there. So I go back home. I face the music. Uh, I'm in trouble with the Air Force. I'm in trouble with Yukon. I'm in trouble with my family. So now what I need to do is get a job to just establish some form of being part of society, which I did. I got a job at my favorite restaurant growing up, the Chart House. Yep. And for all those that don't know what it, what the Chart House is, Shame on you, but what is the chart house? Great high-end seafood, prime rib restaurant. Which might not be open to, due to COVID right now. But um, there was a bunch during my heyday. Um, and so I go and get a job as a busboy. And literally, I had no experience doing anything, but I had to get a job just to be, again, part of society and start redeeming myself because I couldn't go back to Yukon right away. I had to ease myself back into the Air Force. I had to redeem my father's belief in me being, you know, a decent human being. So I start as a busboy and you know being a fucking schmo but within start from the bottom though bro start from the bottom but within about a month of being a schmo i realized that everyone at the chart house does drugs mainly marijuana just like i had done previously and everyone had done everywhere in Connecticut. Now, the part of the story that I left out when I was in Montreal, I had brought Hartford dirt weed up there. My girlfriend, Julie, laughed at me and said, that's not marijuana. Let me show you marijuana. I will give her credit on that one. When I smoked weed on the East Coast, it was swag and it was disgusting. Disgusting. It was so terrible. Growing up in California, you get that sticky icky and you get that nice weed. So it's 
I can only imagine when she smoked the stuff that you brought, she probably was like, I don't blame her for laughing in your face. So she laughed in my face. But at the time, Montreal had some of the best weed in the world. Well, their environment is due for it, too. If nobody knows the intricacies of how to... So she had shown me, and I had smoked in Montreal, stuff that I could get as high off with one bowl hit that Hartford Schwag blunts could not get me even close to. I believe that. So as I was working as a lonely busboy in the restaurant, everyone was smoking this dirt weed. So you were those kids in uh, waiting, but like on the yeah. upper level? Yeah. yeah. Nice. But ev- Except you weren't like saying that horrible freaking slang. But everyone was smoking this dirt weed. And I had experienced this amazing, phenomenal weed in Montreal. And all it took was me mentioning that to her. And her light bulb sparked and she said listen i can get you the best weed and and honestly it was it was at the time in high times it was amsterdam montreal british columbia and california those were the four meccas. And we need to specify that it shouldn't be known as California because it is one state, but it should be Northern California because Northern California, Northern was where California. You, is where the weed actually was more predominant but and it, it was better. It was phenomenal. Yeah, and probably she, could get you high off of and, one tote. And again, she was a reformed person who had sold crack for the Hells Angels. Right. So weed for her. Probably was, nothing. It was not was, yeah. was literally nothing. Yeah. And well, especially in, in Canada. And in Montreal. It was nothing. Yeah. I mean there aren't there uh their laws when it comes to their quote unquote drug usage is is pretty chill. Yes. It, especially that, when it comes to well, weed. At that time, marijuana was, was nothing. nothing. Yeah. Was nothing. So she said Which rightfully so, by the way, so, because weed is so she, comes from the So earth. her light bulb went on. And she said, let me come down and visit, which she had been dying to do, and let me bring you some weed. Did she ever meet your parents? Or your parent? Sorry. Yes. So. What did dad say? He was not happy. But she came down and brought an ounce of this beautiful glorious marijuana now what kind it was they have different strands of marijuana so what kind? I, you know at the time I, I couldn't even tell you like og kush but it was one of those like it was super like bright sticky. bright you know sticky bright green tons of like red and purple hairs like just glorious looking Compared to the Hartford weed now, okay, I'm coming in to the market with stuff that, again, one bull hit will get you higher than a whole fucking blunt of this Hartford dirt weed. Right. So she brings down an ounce. 
And she says, break this into eighths. And so she tells you how to like she, cut it up. She tells me exactly how to cut up and sell it for set amount. Okay. And at, so you can make a profit. Well, yes. Or so she can make a profit. So we can make a profit. Right. Because at the time, again, we're in love. But well, you're, you're in love. You don't know if she's in love. She was in love. Okay. She, she actually fell in love with me first. Okay. Um, But now an eighth of Montreal weed, I could sell for $60. What, do you mind me asking, what were you getting this for? Yes. For so, all those so, that so, don't know, like as far as like the money is concerned, like how much you make versus how much yeah. you sell it for, et cetera. So, so this is giving the you the business aspect yeah, so, of this. So this is a kicker. So hello, education. So, so an eighth <laughs> would be one eighth of an ounce, correct? Which would be three and a half grams. Yes, but I'm asking so, you about the yes. So ready? Okay. So sixty times eight is four eighty. Now, in terms of that level of weed, normally, let's say it costs two hundred in montreal dollars now american dollars at the time was worth 1.5 so not only so it's like seven something no so 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 480 times 1.5 no 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 so so let's so let's say let's say it costs 200 in canadian dollars right now we're gonna divide that. Oh, okay. It was yeah. it was a lesser value. Okay, I thought yeah. that you meant it was a higher. Okay, okay, because Canadian dollars are of higher value now, but back then they were of lower value. They were lower. Contract. So okay, the, so, so you're making a lot more. So a lot more. Yeah, so you're the, making one and a half so, times more. Yeah. So the American dollar was worth a dollar fifty cents more in Canadian money. Yes. In the late 90s slash early 2000s. Yeah. 99-2000s. This was 2000. Yes. So. That makes sense because when I went to Korea to go visit my family, I got a Prada, which would be a fake Prada. And I got that for like $20-$25. I think like I I probably got jilted, but like it was $25 for my bag with the Prada um, label on the top. So, so what she paid for in Canadian dollars at 200, I was only paying about 130 American dollars, which is crazy because, like, now that's how much it would cost for like a gram here or something. Yeah, so now, so now think about this. So, I was selling eights at 60 times eight. 480 was what I was making off a hundred and thirty dollars. It's a huge return. A, a, a huge return. I sold that ounce. So you did like a blow status. I, I sold that ounce in that, one night. Yeah, I can see that. We both looked at each other and were like, holy fuck. No wonder you were living the high life that those few years. Holy fuck. Right. We just made $350. In in less than a day. In less than a day. For doing nothing. Yeah. 
they're buying the same weed they're going to buy, but it's a better quality and we're getting the exchange rate that's benefiting us. She's not paying a premium in Montreal. People down in Simsbury, Connecticut aren't paying a premium, but they're loving the weed. Loving the weed. So you're literally a, uh, you're George from from Blow, basically, is what this boils down to. You're like the Connecticut version of, of George. I love George Young, and I will get into our connection later. But now I... And the plot thickens, everybody. Now I had to make a decision. Because we just both looked at each other and said, fuck, we have something here that we couldn't even think about. Because neither of us knew that both ends were so big. And with that, guys, we are actually going to end this episode because it's going to be a long one. I thought that this was going to be a shorter episode where he was going to actually tie everything together. But we just have so much to unpack. Um, So the sports bar is going to be back and we are going to bring sports into this. I swear it's not just going to be Rams. Um, But holy crap, we have so much to unpack on this one. Um, We're going to play you out, buddy, with life in the fast lane again because you lived in the fast lane at least for this episode and then next up yeah and then next episode you guys are just gonna have to wait sorry sports bar fans it just is what it is man is what it is um thank you again so much for listening please uh listen to us on spotify apple podcast uh itunes etc um, everywhere and anywhere you get your podcast, please follow us on that sports bar, uh, on Instagram and on sports bar gals for Twitter, because again, like I always say, Twitter sucks and they wouldn't give us that sports bar. Um, last but not least, follow us on Facebook at that sports bar, capital T, that capital S sports, capital, uh, B bar. Um, Obviously, my guest does not have a Twitter or any of that account because we're keeping that shit on the low. Again, guys, listen to the next episode. It's going to be gravy. Can't wait to unpack this, man. It's going to be amazing. Thank stories you, just, Stories just going to get better and better on the sports bar. Deuces. Thank you. Thank you. Life in the fast lane. Life in the fast lane.